0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome,
2: welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 24 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host. And, uh... First of all, I'd like to do a quick shout-out. We've got a couple of listeners that sent in some questions. We will get to those questions towards the end of the show, but a big thank you to Rachel in South Australia, Dave in New South Wales, and Simon in Singapore. Um, We will get to those questions at the very end of today's show, so do stay tuned. And if you personally have a question you would like to be answered On the podcast, you can uh, drop me a line via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and uh, you'll find a little tab towards the top of the page that says join the show. That's where you can enter in your question, and it's also where you can tell us about a ship or a cruise that you would like to review because we do encourage as many of you as possible that have been on a cruise in the last 12, 18 months or two years or so to uh, tell us uh, where you were and what you did and uh, what you thought of it. Uh, we'd uh, love to you to be a part of this uh, very popular podcast. Now, today's format will be shortly be joined by Chris Frame. He'll be talking maritime history and uh, cruise news. Uh, we'll then head over to uh, Pete at Clear, where we're going to be talking about five ports where you should rise early to uh, to get the best of uh, the scenery. And then Chris will then come back into the studio, and he's going to help answer the uh, the questions that we received there from Rachel, Dave, and uh, Simon. Um, but without further ado, I guess we'll jump straight into this week's show. Enjoy episode twenty four. <laughs> And in the first part of the show, we always cross to our good friend, maritime historian, and all things cruise news. It's Chris Frame. Welcome back, Chris.
3: Thanks so much, Barry. Good to be back.
2: Yes. And uh, last week we were talking about how the uh, the cuisine and the food on board the ships has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. Today you want to uh, talk about how the the entertainment has evolved since the the first uh, transatlantic ships, I guess, to uh, the, the modern day cruisers of today.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Because you know when you book a cruise, one of the things you're thinking about is all of the different things that you can do on board that will keep you entertained and keep you occupied, and it's all sort of like a floating resort at sea. Um, but that's you know relatively new in the grand scheme of ocean travel. Um, so back in the in the dawn of uh, mechanically powered ships, the steamships, uh, these vessels were you know the step up from what people have been experiencing with sailing ships, but they certainly weren't the luxurious and Uh, entertainment-packed experiences that we have now. Um, So the original uh, steamships, they were wooden built ships that were mainly designed for uh, sort of passages with mail and cargo, but the operators of these ships had these ideas to carry passengers as well. And so the passenger spaces on board were generally what was left over from um, the space that was used up for their main source of income, the the mails, mail contracts, and the cargo, and so uh, in the early in the early days, the passengers were really left to their own devices. They obviously had a space to to sleep, and they had a space maybe for some common mingling and um, to keep warm indoors. But that was pretty much it. There wasn't a, a great variety of um, rooms on board the ships to to entertain yourself. There wasn't sort of uh, theaters or anything like that. Um, or or anything like grand lobbies that we see on ships when we board them now, um, but that changed to some extent where as the ships got bigger and the focus was more on offering luxury interiors and particularly in first class, you know, grand um, interiors of the ships that you see in photographs of ships like Aquitania or Titanic, that sort of thing. Um, there were a lot more places for people to go, and in fact, it was a um, great uh, news when. Uh, ships started to offer things like a uh, a gentleman's smoking room for you to retire to after a meal and um, stay indoors you didn't have to go up on deck anymore for example that was what they would include in the marketing collateral or um, they also had ships that had a ladies writing room where the the ladies could retire after um, after an event or after after dinner for example and 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 mingle and chat with each other that was quite quite a, a, a strange and segregated experience. You know, uh, men and women used to have sort of different areas of the ships in some, in some instances and different uh, activities that they would participate in um, throughout the day. Now, if you fast forward to uh, slightly more modern times, but even in the era of um, just the sort of when the jet aircraft was coming in in about the 1950s, 1960s, it was still pretty basic in terms of entertainment compared to what we have now um so for example barry when the ships would depart port um for example Mm -hmm. uh, first day at sea there would be a call put out in the little program that would go around to cabins to for people who were interested in participating in the entertainment committee and you would because these voyages you know i'm talking about transatlantic you've got seven six, six seven days at sea or even coming to australia on the on the ocean liners, doing the yeah. um, doing those line voyages, you have weeks at sea, and, and so day one you would you would mingle together if you were interested, and you would form a committee. And the passengers would actually organise the entertainment themselves as part of this committee. So the, the cruise line would help, um, or the shipping line would help facilitate that that meeting. But um, the passengers would then you know elect a chairperson, and they would work out what they wanted to do. And some of the activities that you can see are um, are quite quite interesting when you when you look back i mean they would organize things like three-legged races and egg and (laughs) spoon relays (laughs) um and uh and the the cruise the cruise line would sometimes do things like make a um some of these ships had built-in swimming pools but other ones didn't so they might make a canvas swimming pool um if it was in hot weather um and they could do activities in in the swimming pool area as well so very very different it's nothing like now where you um, have a program where from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep um, after midnight the next morning um, there's like entertainment all over the place now there was of course bars and lounges you could if you were particularly traveling in the in first class or 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 second class and even tourist class as uh, as that became more sort of sophisticated you you could you know, mingle and um, do that. They had other sorts of things um, on some of the P&O and Orient Line ships. They would have, um, if you can believe it, television viewing lounges. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't televisions in the rooms, but there was a lounge that was dedicated specifically to to allow passengers to watch something on the, the television. It was also sort of um, novel and they would sort of tune it into whatever, you know, the ship had its own um, tapes and stuff that it could it could play. Um, activities and um, by that stage obviously uh, there was a lot less sort of restrictions around uh, where and and how you mingled but it is just remarkable to think back uh, and, and also like now how how important that entertainment factor is in choosing a, tr- a trip and choosing a cruise and they've got cruise lines that have you know relationships with special production companies for the shows or there's some yeah, cruise lines that yeah. have Cirque du Soleil on board and all that sort of stuff and then you think back to those early steamships, where you know having a, um, a a room inside where it was heated for you to mingle with people was exciting. And um, <laughs> when they introduced sort of a special room for uh, people to go to after dinner to have conversations, that was what they would put in the brochures uh, or in the in the in the um, newspaper. Um, Clippings and that sort of thing. So yeah, a huge change in the time that we've um, had ships around, and just I thought something that was interesting for people to think back and reflect on.
2: Uh, yeah, for sure. I was just thinking while you were talking about some of that. Um, I remember seeing images or, or somebody talking about the early days of you know the the carnivals and the royals and the Norwegians. Mm. Um, and having things like clay pigeon shooting off the back of the ships mm-hmm. and uh, uh, hitting golf balls off the back of the ship, which, yes. of course, you would never do nowadays because of the environmental impact. But yeah, yeah even the more more recent times, it's changed a hell of a lot as well.
3: Absolutely. I mean, um, that's just it. You see these uh, this footage and you can even see some of it on YouTube if you're um, looking at some of those historical videos, that there's there's some amazing like scenes of the of the clay pigeon shooting off the back deck and crowds of people watching as that happens and again as you say the golf driving range wasn't a special or golf simulators that we have now where it's all computerized um it wasn't like that uh back then you would you know as you say you would literally be hitting golf balls off off the side of the ship which is um you know terrible environmentally when you think about it but also so different to the mindset that we have now um on what we would accept as entertainment
2: Okay, so now it's time to go from uh, history into uh, what's been happening over the last week or so when we had uh, a big announcement here in Australia last night.
3: Yes, we did. So the Australian cruise ban, uh, which is what it's known as sort of collo- colloquially, um, has been extended now through to December. Um, so I don't think that that was something that we were necessarily surprised to hear. Um, but this is the, the, the restrictions, I suppose, that stop um, foreign flagged cruise ships from entering uh, Australian waters and Australian ports and was the the reason why we don't have any um, major cruise ships uh, in any Australian ports at the moment. All of the ships, even the ones that were operated by P&O Australia, which is a, an Australian based brand, um, the ships themselves have actually left and are um, laid up uh, in in waters outside of Australia. Um and so this is just uh, the latest I suppose in a long line of uh, impacts on the travel and tourism industry. Uh and uh the Cruise Line um Clear, the Cruise Line International Association um predicts that it's already um caused a 1.4 billion dollar hit to the to the industry and are bracing for a further 3.8 billion dollar hit because it's coming into that summer season. So uh you know just ex- uh, ex- the cruise pause extended through till December um at the moment that sort of is the first month of that summer uh season but whether or not it continues into 2021 we'll have to wait and see Barry
2: and in a similar theme earlier this week uh, Seabourn had already um extended their pause um through to early 2021
3: yes they had and they've now just uh, adjusted uh, several ships' re-entry dates. Um, Ovation and Encore won't be uh, seeing passenger service until January of 2021, but Seabourn Quest uh, has been pushed all the way through till May, um, which I think is probably lined up with some of the other lines that are trying to sort of stage their recovery, so that the different ships come back online at different different times to, I guess, meet yep. demand as things start to ramp back up again. Um, hopefully, in 2021, in a in a sort of post-COVID world, if everything goes according to plan. Um, and the other bit of news there on Seaborn's front is that they've been busy working on uh, introducing a new ship, an expedition vessel, um, Seaborn Venture. And she's an interesting little ship, actually, because um, 132 balcony cabins, uh, so all sort of luxury staterooms, as you can expect from Seaborn. But this ship's got a polar class hull, which um, allows it to do expedition voyages into the icy regions of the arctic and antarctic Um, and you know these expedition ships are quite often known for having their zodiac boats and other sorts of things um, little sort of landing craft to allow you to get up and close to to the wildlife and and that sort of thing Uh, but this one actually has two purpose-built submarines included um, which will allow I guess to have an underwater experience. So how that will work exactly, I'm not sure, but it sounds fascinating. Um I don't know if you know any more about it than, than I do, Barry, but it does sound very interesting.
2: Yeah, I d I don't know a huge deal. I do know that um another cruise line scenic on their expedition yacht, they
3: also have submarines. Mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds like something out of, out of some sort of futuristic um, you know, novel or something, but it's it's fascinating. So I mean
2: there are so many restrictions on what you can and can't do in antarctica that um, they must have approval to, yes, be able course, to do this yeah. but it would be a very surreal experience to be below the water as uh penguins are swimming by yeah. and various wildlife and things
3: um yeah it's uh fascinating well if anyone's traveled on the scenic one then they should um they should write in and do a review yeah
2: yeah absolutely yeah yeah let us know for sure
3: um, actually, speaking of Scenic. Speaking... <laughs> yeah, that's the next topic, actually. Yeah. Over to you. Oh, yeah. So um, they Scenic has, a, has a, d- a division that's um, introducing uh, luxury yacht experiences. So there's the, the Emerald Yacht Cruisers. Um, and their newest ship, um, which was planned to come into service uh, throughout 2021, has actually been delayed until December of 2021. Uh, This is a six deck, um, small expedition style vessel, a bit similar to what what we've spoken about with those expedition ships before. So that's just a few seconds ago talking about Zodiac boats and that sort of ability to get into ports and into waterways that the bigger ships just can't do. So it gives you that sort of more, uh, I guess, uh, in touch with nature kind of experience. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I guess that's the the thing. We're seeing quite a lot of delays as um, as Ships are um, being built because, of course, the the shipyards were also impacted by by COVID, um, and also there is not quite as much um, rush to get them into service quite so quickly because uh, they need to they need to scale up the, this, this the operations. So no surprises, but just a delay on that one.
2: Yeah the interesting difference with uh, Emerald Azurus, um she's an expedition ship but she's um, she's not going to be going to the cold destinations she's actually going to be uh, initially concentrating on uh, Croatia the Greek Isles um even down into the to the holy land so she's she's very much about the destination mm. Um, but not so much uh, uh, about the, the cold destinations that the, the other lines seem to focus on. No, but
3: still using that sort of um, yeah. that scale to allow it to get into sort of ports that the big cruise ships, because you know, the big cruise ships will pull into sort of Dubrovnik and then there's all the buses and everyone has to bus over to the old city and stuff. This one will be able to get into areas yeah. where, um, where the big cruise ships just can't go because of their, because of their size and scale.
0: Yeah, should be good.
2: Carnival, um, I've not made an official announcement, uh, but uh, as you do, you check all of the the ship trackers of who's going where and who's doing (laughs) what, and you've spotted something with Carnival imagination.
3: Well, yes, there's been a lot of chatter because, of course, um, whilst Fantasy, uh, for example, um, and Inspiration were both sent off to the scrapyard, um, a number of other Carnival ships uh, of that same class have been, um, you know, they're still in, in warm layup of the fantasy class and a couple of them were flagged for sort of long-term um layup but if you look at the voyage tracker for imagination um which is you know one of those 70,000 ton fantasy class ships um she's currently got uh, scheduled as her next destination the same um the same scrapyard region in Turkey that the that her two fleet mates went to. So um, a lot of chatter online from people who monitor these sorts of things about the fact that she's probably the next one to go. Again, as you say, there's nothing official from Carnival uh, that I've seen as yet, but we will keep an eye on her and see where she ends up um, as to whether or not that is going to be her fate as well. Yeah. Um, our friends at Hertie Gritten had some good news this week. They did, and from a, um, an unexpected source, I think. <laughs> um, so the uh, Tom Cruise... Uh, franchise um, Mission Impossible, um, of course, which has uh, made some very some great movies with some amazing stunts and amazing scenes that you, you've enjoyed seeing on the big screen. Um, they're filming the seventh installation of that um, particular uh, movie franchise, and in order to allow for their um, cast and crew and the and the people involved in in making these movies to be um, safely uh, accommodated throughout the filming um, of this movie in August and September of this year, um, they've actually chartered uh, two Hurtigruten ships uh, for accommodation purposes. Which, you know, after all of the um, turmoil that uh, that the Hurtigruten's been through in the last few months, it must be wonderful news for them to to have a use for these two ships and for such a uh, an interesting and uh, and unique purpose as well.
2: Yeah, the, the two ships, for those that are interested, the Vestralen, which is one of the older vessels, but also the, the newest um, expedition ship in the fleet, the Frigot Nansen. Um, oh,
3: very good at pronouncing that. You know, I had them written down, but I wasn't going to give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> my best Norwegian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also in good news this week, we've uh, heard from Princess
2: about uh, the 2021-22 Australia-New Zealand deployment and the 2022 World Cruise.
3: Yes, so as, as you say, there's a 2022, they're, they're doing a world cruise, obviously, which includes Australian ports, which is wonderful to see, but also there's a huge uh, influx uh, of princess ships due here uh, throughout the 2021-22 um, season. In fact, five um, princess ships will make their way to Australian waters. Um, and we'll also see a maiden visit for both the Coral Princess and the Royal Princess, um, other princess visitors will include the Emerald Princess, the Sapphire Princess, and the Pacific Princess. Um, and some of these voyages, I mean, it's just just shy of 60 different itineraries, um, and some of them are um, quite exciting to look at. I mean, you can venture from Australia out to, to Hawaii. There's voyages um, around New Zealand. There's South Pacific cruises. Uh, and they're also going to be doing a circumnavigation of Australia, which is massively popular with people here. I know when mm-hmm. other brands and other lines have done it, Um, you can either get on the ship in Sydney and end up in, in Fremantle, you can get on the ship in Fremantle, go up the top and end up back in, in Sydney and, and, or or do the whole loop, you know, if you wanted to. So, um, lots of options there from Princess and I know it's a brand that people, um, do love and, um, it's very popular. Um, they've got some amazing Princess communities on Facebook and the people are so loyal there. So there'll be a lot of excitement with this recent announcement
2: yeah i think there was a i was seeing some uh, disappointment that majestic wasn't coming back to australia but i think uh, the fact that royals coming down um, is of the same class mm. um, and we're now going to have two medallion enabled ships down here which uh, which is all great news
3: it's interesting you know because um there's certain ships that just have this um special something that makes people really drawn towards them i know uh, sea princess for example is one that it's yep. an older ship but she's just got this most intensely loyal following and um and people just just love her and as you say um uh, majestic is another one but um you know even two ships within the same class one can just have a certain appeal to people that the other one never seems to be able to to get but hopefully with uh, with five to choose from people will, will enjoy that experience
2: yeah, and with the world cruise, so uh, that's departing in May 2022. 107 nights uh, departing from Sydney or Brisbane. Incredible.
3: Yeah, it's it's, it's fantastic actually, and uh, a long world cruise too. Because you know they 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 vary in in length from about 90 days or so, but 107 is I think a reflection of all of the various ports that the uh, world cruise is taking in as well to give so many different options for people.
2: Yeah, and they're trying to include a lot more late-night stays. In fact, uh, they've got 12 late-night stays, four overnights. Those overnights are in Dubai, Venice, New York, and uh, Lima. Mm. Um, 34,000 nautical miles.
3: Oh, if only I had the time. (laughs) Well, maybe we could uh, be doing the podcast live from the World Cruise, if anyone from Princess is (laughs) listening. (laughs) Okay, I'll
2: uh, talk to the powers that be and see what we can uh, can arrange. (laughs) Of course, you've normally got videos coming out, Chris. Anything
3: coming out over the next couple of days? Yeah, so it's actually a follow-on from a video I did t- two weeks ago about scrapping ships. In that video I mentioned that Britannic had been scrapped in the nineteen sixties, and quite a few people sent me messages saying, Didn't Britannic sink uh, during World War One? And that got me thinking, well, there was multiple Britannics. White Star Line used the name more than once, and many, many cruise lines do this. Um, we've had, you know, multiple ships uh named uh coronia we've had multiple ships named uh the princess ships also share names you know um, royal princess for example and um mm-hmm. regal princess uh and even carnival now is starting to use um old names from their history such as mardi gras and uh and and Fascin- uh, fascination no celebration sorry uh coming out uh into 2022 um so it got me thinking, why do cruise lines do this? And so I've put together a video that explains how ships are named and why they reuse the same name so many times. Brilliant.
2: Well, as always, we'll be sure to include
3: that in the show notes. Now, don't go too far, Chris.
2: We're going to uh, have a little ad break. We're going to go over to Peter to clear for some uh, some more uh, information. And then I'm going to call you back in if that's okay. We've got a couple of listener questions that we need to answer. No problem. Good.
3: Let's do it. <laughs> This podcast is not
2: possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. They have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing, but most importantly, each and every call, chat, and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at (laughs) cruisefinder.com.au. once again we welcome back our good friend pete from clear and this week pete it's all about getting up early and seeing the sail in what are the five ports
1: well it better be good because if you're going to sacrifice a sleep in <laughs> you <laughs> want to make sure it's worth it look uh number five hong kong you, you know you're sailing into victoria harbour now you've got these skyscrapers that uh just phenomenal just the the, the density of them but they're all sort of backed by that green summit of uh, Victoria peak in the mountains. So it's aesthetically just stunning, but on the waterways you're passing, you know, traditional junks and fairies. And the reason I chose it in my top five, a uh, little asterisk, because the, okay, that's early to, you know, to come in, you got to rise early to see it but on your way out. And I think, I don't know if you've done it, but I think it's around 8 PM and it's generic. It's, oh, the, uh, the light show. Yes, the, the Vivid Evening Laser Show. And uh, I love it because the city is working together. It's got this pulsating yeah. rhythm and the whole city comes alight with different neons and colors and different beats. And uh, it's, you know, it's, you don't get that in every place in the world. That's why they made the top five. <laughs> uh, number four? Number four, um, I used to love going to Rio de Janeiro. Um, mm-hmm. You're sailing into uh, Guanabara Bay there But you're sailing along the coast and The first things you see obviously is Sugarloaf Mountain um, yep. And then you're passing the beaches You know, Ixtaba and Copacabana And you're sort of getting closer to the city And then uh, once you're getting to that harbour And uh, you're seeing, you know, the beautiful yachts And of course you've got Christ the Redeemer Corcovado, standing atop of the mountain there Open arms welcoming you And uh, normally, South America, you've got a lot of you know, quite a few days at sea, so you know, it it may be a while before you actually um, it depends where you're going. So, if you're going from north to south, there'll be a few sea days, but uh, sometimes if you're going from uh, Montevideo uh, in Uruguay, it might just be a day, but anyways, it's it's just so nice to see. It is a really welcoming city. Let me
2: guess, are they playing Barry Manilow as you sail (laughs) in? (laughs) <laughs> probably not on crystal
1: not on crystal no we had um uh i forgot his name but uh, i shouldn't because it was every every single port what a wonderful world uh oh I'm yeah from. yep yes yep yep <laughs> uh, number three number three now talking about uh I look I, before i get into number three i left sydney out sydney is in the top five but it's my hometown so um i've a biased, shed a few yeah. tears when i've been on a world cruise and ended in sydney and it's you know such a long journey such a life-changing experience and then you see sydney from just a such a different perspective you know you think of the city but yep. when you're coming through the heads and anyway so talking about places where you're doing a bit of sailing and then all of a sudden you hit land it's like <laughs> the old days like you're stranded cape town when you get into cape town it really is stunning you've of course tabletop mountain is the, yep. the postcard image and it generally has that same cloud over the top, which they call the tablecloth. that's just sort of flat and just spills over the edge. Um, and, and just this little community, you know, around that peninsula. Uh, you might pass Robben Island as well on the way there. You're very famous for sea lions in that area as well. So it, it's, it's uh, I don't know, you're just in a remote part of the world and you just feel comfort and reassurance and wow. I love uh, sailing into Cape Town. So number two. So number two, um, hopefully a lot of your listeners would have had this experience, and if they haven't, they've definitely got to do it. The old blue eyes, Frank Sinatra, (laughs) New York.
2: Of course, it's got to be in there.
1: What a location. And, um, you know, from a historical aspect, of course, pretty much started cruising, didn't it, with the the transportation of of, um, immigrants who sort of chose America as their new home, and they pass Ellis Island, uh, some of them were processed there, but uh, then as you go deeper in the harbor, you've you, you've you've got three docking locations there. You've got uh, Cape Liberty Port, um, Brooklyn Cruise Terminal, which both have great views as you pass Statue of Liberty. Yes, that's her. Have, have you actually done this one, Ben? Yeah, yeah I
2: have yeah done a, did a transatlantic a couple of years ago on uh, Carnival Vista. Oh, okay.
1: Were you surprised at the size of her? Yeah, very much. I mean, you know, that's us talking from the. You know, top deck of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it's such an icon and we think of it as so big, but when you're on the ship and you look, and you go past it, you go, wow.
2: Yeah. I did go back and go on the Staten Island ferry though, to see it from, from the, the lower. Oh, okay. So
1: yeah. And, and different perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh look, you'll, you'll pass it all the way, but I, I personally love going to the Manhattan cruise Terminal, which is the closest one into the, the city center near 44th West street yep. and 52nd West street. Um, and, and normally Holland America Carnival, uh, NCL sort of do that area. Um, but all of them, you, you get great views. It's just a it's just a, a beautiful feeling going into New York, I have to say.
2: I'm really curious now because I honestly thought either Sydney or Hong Kong would be your number one. So so what is it? What's better than
1: them two? Well, I've actually mentioned it on your show before.
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, okay, got it. I won't spoil it. Stockholm. Yep.
1: yep. I do, um, only because a lot of these cities that I've spoken about, you know, the sailing will take about an hour um, by the time you dock and moored and everything. Uh, Stockholm, you're three hours going through uh, the innumerable islands and islets and uh, the various uh, cottages on the uh, the archipelago of, I can't remember, it was the 30,000, 50,000 yeah. uh, islands. It's just an incredible journey. And then you get into come come into Stockholm itself, uh, right in the city centre. You got Renaissance spires, medieval houses, um, and then you got nature. You know you, they they keep their parks really well. It's a beautiful, stunning city, and it's all quite flat. So when you are on a cruise ship again, you you are one of the taller <laughs>
2: um,
1: advantage points. So Stockholm is beautiful. So that is my number one sailing look. There is a couple I did leave out. Seattle. Yep. I love Seattle sailing. Uh, Istanbul, when you come in, you see all the minarets yep. and the skyline. Yep. I think that's beautiful. Uh, Venice, you know, even though you're not going uh, in the, the main uh, duro, I forgot the name, duro canal. Uh, but it, you know, I mean, I've, I've been through that sort of new passage many times. You're still the tallest thing yep. in Venice. Yep. So, so you're going to see all of Venice. And if you get a chance to be on a small ship and go into London, uh, you know, along the Thames, that's yep. certainly special as well. So look, there's a lot, but uh, um, I will definitely say Stockholm, New York, Cape Town, Rio, and Hong Kong.
2: Brilliant. Pete, always a pleasure. We look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks, Baz. When you're packing for your next cruise... We consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evarcus, are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. And we'll welcome Chris back into the studio now. Chris, we've got a couple of list of questions that came in over the last week or so. And uh, the first one comes from Rachel in South Australia. Uh, she's considering a cruise to Alaska. She's asking, "What is the best? Be- sorry, what is the best month to go?"
3: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, look, Barry, I've never travelled to Alaska. I, I do know um, from a cruise line perspective that uh, certain lines have access to different parts of Alaska, and I think Royal, uh, I think Holland America Line has grandfather rights, if I'm um, not mistaken to some of it because they were one of the first brands to start sailing there but in terms of months I, I think i might need to throw back to you for that one
2: no that's fine Yeah, more than happy to do so um yes you are right holland america does have the uh, the grandfather rights because they have actually been cruising to alaska longer than it has been known as alaska because <laughs> They were there when it was uh, still part of russia um so they do have uh, a lot of infrastructure up there they have more access to, to places like glacier bay um they also own a uh, huge fleet of uh, Coaches, they own rail carriages, they own national park lodges. Um, so, them and also them, Princess. Yeah. yeah, Princess also have a similar uh, access to those kind of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but from choosing a month to travel in, I would say, well, basically, you can only go to Alaska from May through to about the second or third week of September. Um, May is obviously spring, September is uh, considered to be to autumn um try to avoid august wherever possible because that is the uh, north american school holidays so uh, be very very busy very with, busy uh, yeah big families travelling um so my perfect months i think are may june or september may june um you have got more chance of seeing the wildlife because they they they've kind of just woken up they're mm-hmm. foraging much closer to the shoreline so the chances of seeing uh, bears with their cubs and things is is much much higher Um, and, um, things are a little bit greener when you get through to September, it's obviously autumn. Now you don't get the autumn colors that you would get say on the the East coast, but you do have a change in the colors of the trees and the, the countryside. Um, and, um, no matter when you go to Alaska, the weather is very, very changeable. And I would say it's a little bit like Melbourne, four seasons in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be dressed uh, in layers to be able to, to prepare for that bit of sunshine and then for the showers. Um, but uh, certainly for the, the being less busy and getting the best out of your time whilst you're there, I would cons- really consider May, uh, June or either September.
3: Do you have a favourite port for departures into Alaska, Barry? Um, I really, really do
2: like Vancouver. I think it's Vancouver, a great yeah. city, got uh, so much to offer. Um, and it is very, I, th- I think Canadians are very much like Australians. I think we've, we've got a bit of a bond there. Mm. Um, having said that, um, Vancouver has become very, very expensive for pre and post accommodation. Um, the, okay. hotel- the availability of the hotels is very tight. Um, so is that because options- there's
3: so many lines operating from there? Because I mean, there's I think not so. just Helen Princess, much- but... You know, yeah, other I mean, brands are doing it Canada place and... for
2: example can turn around three ships at one time yeah okay um, and then the royal uh, brands operate from a cruise port just a little yeah, bit cool, further yeah. away from Canada place um but I really like Seattle as well and yep. I think Seattle often gets a little bit overlooked mainly because the air connections from Australia are probably a little bit better into Vancouver mm. um, you have
3: to go via like LA or whatever to get to Seattle wouldn't you do a connection yeah. on American
2: yeah exactly yeah um but you know it's got the Space Needle. It's got the, the Boeing factory. If you're a bit of an aircraft geek, mm-hmm. um, th- th- a lot. To and offer. anyone
3: who's watched Frasier will feel familiar to to yeah. Seattle, you know, because yeah, <laughs> of all of the all of the scenes they used to do there in that in that show.
2: Uh, but of course you can also do one way most people, Australians tend to do the round trips out of Vancouver or Seattle but you can do the one ways which tend to go from either Seattle, Vancouver up to uh, Whittier or Seard Mm -hmm. um, and that allows you then to go further up into uh, Denali National Park and up into the interior Mm. of Alaska which um, should be done if you've got the time because there's so much more to to see once you uh, get further up into the interior It's definitely on my bucket list uh, we'll add it to the list after the Princess Will Cruise.
3: Okay, sounds good. <laughs> sounds very good. God, we're uh, going to be busy. Dave in,
2: <laughs> Dave in New South Wales um, sent a message in. My wife and I are planning a holiday to Norway. A friend recommended we do a cruise as it's always a good value way to see Norway. It is quite an expensive destination. Uh, but they can't hmm. decide between doing a summer cruise or a winter cruise in search of the Northern Lights. Any tips?
3: Well, uh, the trips that I've been to Norway have both been During the summer season, um, look. I mean, it's just it is a remarkable place, uh, and the even in summer for an Australian, I suppose, standing there on the front deck of the of the ship as it's going in through the fjords and the wind is blowing, it is it is you know noticeably colder than what we're used to um, here. So um, I imagine winter would be would be very cold, and I think in some areas of Norway, some of the um, Fjords in in winter uh, do get iced over. Not all of them. Some of the big ones you can obviously get in, um, but I guess it depends on whether or not you're looking to go during. I mean, there's only certain number of cruises that operate uh, in the winter months as well because of how how dark it um, it stays with with the with the sun. And and in summer it's just amazing because you have the midnight sun. Um, so even in you know, eleven fifty nine to twelve o one. It's still light enough outside to see what you're doing. So that is also a unique experience unto itself. The light, the Northern Lights, would be remarkable. I've never seen them from from Norway um, from a cruise before. I, I don't know if you have, Barry.
2: Yeah, I have. Yeah, actually, I did a, a Hurtigruten cruise in mid November. I think it was, um, mm. and didn't know what to expect. I did the full trip around trip Bergen, so Bergen all the way up to Kirkenes in the far north, uh-huh. and back down again. Um, and the first time I saw the Northern Lights, I was like, Oh, is that it? I was a bit disappointed, <laughs> but to be honest, every, we probably saw them about six times in the 12 night cruise. And yep. every time I saw them, they got better and better and better. And to the point where one night the whole sky was just dancing
3: with this green and blue imagery. Amazing. It, it, it,
2: there would be no video or no picture that could do it justice. It was so incredible. Yeah. I've, I've you... seen
3: the, I've seen the Northern Lights from an aircraft before, but not from a ship. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Fair was an right. interesting experience. But um, look, I mean, Norway as well. Like, they uh, because the the trips I've done there were actually um, from from the UK. So we had days at sea, and then went up and end up in Grand fjord and um, also pulled into Bergen, as you have mentioned, and, and a few other ports as well but in the height of the summer season um they also have a lot of things set up to allow you to do some pretty interesting exploration so you can go up and um, see the glaciers we actually did a, a helicopter um re- experience as well we flew through the through the fjords and and unbeknownst to us when we were booking it the the pilot was actually a, a former stunt pilot and he did a few maneuvers that um, i wasn't expecting it was quite exciting um, so it was it was an awesome experience but And again, you've just got such long days throughout the the summer. So I think um, to answer Dave's question, either way, you're going to have a unique experience. It just depends on whether or not, um, how important it is to you, I suppose, to have the opportunity to see those Northern Lights.
2: Yeah, I th- that, to be, as you say, I think they're two completely different experiences. Mm. So much so that you could go back a second time and do the opposite season and mm. it, your experience would be so, so different. So um, maybe go to summer first and then go back for the, the Northern Lights a second time. Who knows? Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> and our last listener question for this week, we've got Simon from Singapore. Oh, wow. Um, actually, we're trending very well in the podcast charts in Singapore. Oh, that's what I'm um, saying. <laughs> We're first-time cruisers we can't decide between early, late or flexible dining, any help? I, this is a really hard one because he hasn't said where he's
3: cruising to and I think that really impacts your decision here. So I always – I mean, okay, so flexible dining, it's great because you can basically just turn up whenever you want within the opening hours of the restaurant. The, the only downside with flexible dining, I think, is – one of the things that is nice about the, well, that some people find nice about the cruise experience is that if you have a good table of people that you are with every night, you actually can form some really good friendships. Um, so that that is why the set dining, it's one of the benefits, I suppose. Um, obviously, if you get a, um, a group of people that you don't really gel with, and that can be a problem, but quite often you can actually form some really good friendships over the course of a cruise with people if you're having dinner with them every night you get to know them quite well. Um, we used to always sort of uh, opt for the late seating when we were traveling um, because the, the cruise departures are quite often aligned with um, sort of six o'clock which is when, um, when dinner is starting particularly in Australia but if you're traveling in Europe it can be different you can have later departures and missed the sailaways as well so it's a difficult one to know without knowing where you're, where you're traveling as Barry said. And also like if you've got a family, if you've got um, children, you you may need to think about eating earlier with them, um, which might, might impact your choice. Perhaps that's why flexible dining might be a better option.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit like you. I personally prefer traditional fixed time dining. Mm. Um, and not so much because of the people that you might meet, because I've generally traveled, when we travel as a family, as quite a large family. So we tend to have one large table for mm. ourselves. But I really like to get to know the waiters. And I think if you're traveling with mm. kids in particular, the waiters get to know your kids, what they like, what they don't like. And, you know, they, they kind of preempt what they, the, the kids want for dinner mm. and uh, go that, that that little bit further. Whereas if you're meeting a new waiter every evening, you kind of have to rebuild
3: that relationship and uh, every, every night or every couple of nights. True. I mean, some ships, though, have um, – because, like, I'm thinking, you know, uh, flexible dining, for example, on, on P&O UK, um, they have two options. They have the the set dining room or the flexible dining room. And then there's, like, additional – some additional dining options. Um, and, and P&O um, Australia has – I think it's flexible throughout the the main restaurant now. Yeah, I think it is, It was yeah. on Pacific Jewel when I was last on board. But um, there's other brands like um, – uh, Norwegian, for example, uh, NCL, where I think the whole thing is pretty much flexible dining, and you've got a whole of different restaurants and experiences to choose from. Um, and then there's other brands that have sort of sit somewhere in between. So again, like to to Barry's point, you know, getting to know the the wait the waiters at your table and that sort of thing is is great, as opposed to coming to that same restaurant um experience night after night and having to relearn it all but if the ship that you're going on has you know it's a five-night cruise and there's five different restaurants then yeah absolutely try all five you know it sounds like a great opportunity because it's like being in the city you go to a different place each night so but if it's if you're going to the same restaurant the same flexible dining restaurant each night then there is a benefit to having the option where you can be at a set table because you will get that more personalized um, experience most likely yeah Fabulous. Great answers to... Hopefully uh, that answered the. I don't know. Let us know, (laughs) Simon, if that um, that helped
2: you at all. Very fair. Chris, as always, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I'm sure time will fly once again, and we'll be speaking to you very, very soon.
3: Thanks so much, Barry. Speak soon.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hold up.